want to share with you a little something that I found this week. Quote actually comes from an article in, that is entitled, Anxiety in the West, Is It on the Rise? Comes from a site uh, named medicalnewstoday.com, and the author is Tim Newman. In that article, you find this statement. Today, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting around 40 million adults, almost one in five people, or about 20%. Now that's, that's just people diagnosed with a disorder. That doesn't even include all the rest of us who deal with an array of anxieties uh, as it is, uh, uh, just a challenge in life. Now, that may or may not surprise you, given the circumstances in our world today, but this will surprise you. That was written in 2018. Based on statistics from 2017, before COVID-19, before the lockdowns, before the economic disruption, before the pandemic, and even now, if unemployment is up, remains high, folks have had to stay home, stay separated, be confined. Children have been at home. They say there's an epidemic among school-aged children regarding anxiety. Our cities have been burned, vandalized, and looted over the past year and a half. Huge numbers of people are flocking from the major urban centers, the suburbs and the rural areas. We've just had a gas shortage here in North Carolina, as 16 other states have also had. They say North Carolina was one of the worst hit. Because some hackers sitting in Russia punched a button on the computer and wiped out our gas supply. Israel is in war with Hamas again. By the way, there are not very many, but there's, there are Christians there in the middle of that. Some of whom I've heard reports of that have barely escaped death from rockets, as well as the, you know, the Jewish population, the rest. Taxes are going up. Inflation is already rising. Homelessness is a continual problem. There's a crisis on the border. Just go on and on and on and on. We have ten times the reason to be anxious about life versus 2017. And anxiety is a huge problem. It's a really big problem for some folks. Now, we, we might think, well, we as Christians, we, you know, we're, we're in a different class, but I, I think we are vulnerable too. 
Not because we have an excuse, because of all these things, but because we don't draw upon the resources that God has given us. That we do not act upon the teaching we find in the Word. There is a way to cope with daily anxieties. Look with me at Matthew 6 and verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, this is the Lord Jesus speaking, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Now, the New King James says, do not worry. The ESV says, do not be anxious. The King James says, take no thought for these things. The new Schofield inserts the words, be not anxious. Whatever and however it's translated, it simply is a command. It's an imperative by mode in the Greek. And it's telling us not to be overwhelmed by anxiety. You say, well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's quite a, quite a difficult thing to handle. That's true. But it is something God expects us to do. So there's got to be a way to deal with it. By the way, see that very first word in verse 25? Therefore. In English it points backwards in the context, and uh, the equivalent word in the Greek language here does too. So what do we read in verse 24? No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, and so on. So everything that Jesus is saying, beginning in verse 25 about anxiety, is based on the fact that He is God, He is the Lord, or He should be the Lord of our lives. And if He says, don't let anxiety overwhelm you and control you, and He gives us that command, well, that, that's based on who He is. He's God. He's our Lord. We need to obey that command. But how do we do it? Easier said than done. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture for all of us. No doubt you have read it multiple times. You've heard many Sunday school lessons on it, sermons on it. It's not that we don't know what this says. But it's a time in our life, I think, and in our church and in our communities, in our world today, for us to go back and review what Jesus said. Because our problem is not so much understanding what he told us to do. Our problem is coming to grips with how we can practically do what he told us to do. Because we all face anxiety. We all have concerns. And it can get overwhelming at times. So it robs us of our joy and takes away our peace and affects our relationships. It goes on and on. How do we stop being anxious? Well, what is anxiety to start with? Some people have labeled it low-grade fear. That's a pretty good definition. It's not something that 
causes you to be immediately in fear of your life. By the way, fear is something God gave us the capacity to have and experience as part of life. It's good. There are things we ought to be afraid of. Fear tells us we're in a bad situation. Fear tells us we need to take action to preserve our well-being. Low-grade fear, well, there's, there's just not any immediate, devastating circumstance that we're facing, but we're still afflicted with the overall accumulation of all these things that might be, could be in our life. Another definition uh, has been set forth, and it is this, that anxiety is an addictive thought pattern. Well, now, process that one for a moment. An addictive thought pattern. You see, what we think is what we feel. How we think affects our emotions. And if if we are emotionally disturbed, it, it goes straight to our thinking. And our thinking needs to be based on truth, God's Word. Any way you cut it, anxiety, unchecked, is not good. It can lead to depression, to guilt, to resentment, all sorts of health problems. But God has given us a roadmap. There are three steps. I want you to follow with me this morning in this passage of Scripture that will help us understand how to deal with daily anxieties. And the point of everything Jesus says here goes back to how he began in verse 25 when he said, stop being overly anxious, stop worrying, stop being overly concerned, Uh, quit doing that. (laughs) We all do it. From time to time. Or at least sometimes we do it. Now, obviously some are maybe more addicted to the thought pattern than others. I know there are many, many times in my life in the last year I've had to say, wait a minute, I've got to stop thinking about this. And I've got to start thinking about what did God say? And what did He promise? So, what's the first step? How How can we come to grips with dealing with the anxieties that we have when they crop up so that they do not overwhelm us. Number one, step one, trust God to meet your needs. Now listen, I know that all of you understand that you should trust God. Okay, this is not new information to you or to me. But we need to be reminded. We need to go back to the foundation. We need to, in our minds and hearts, review and and purposefully and decidedly again rely on those things we know and Jesus said. So step one is all about a review here. Step one is very, again, it's a very familiar passage. It's not going to be new information, but we need to take another look at it. Chronic anxiety essentially is a lack of trust in God. That's not that we don't trust Him at all. It's just that we, at times and in certain circumstances and in certain situations, 
we fail to actively engage or to apply our trust. Now, there are two areas where we will typically fail here. Human beings, number one, will fail to trust God to provide their basic needs in life. Well, you see it here in verse 25 when he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. I don't think probably any of us has spent a lot of time lately worrying about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink. We live in such an abundant society, and we've been so blessed. I just walked through Harris Teeter. I try not to do that sort of thing, but every now and then I, 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 I get the word I need to stop, you know, and pick up this or that. I walked down the drink aisle, and I was thinking about this verse, and I thought, whoa, there's a whole aisle here, both sides full of every kind of soft drink, juice drink, every kind of anything you want to drink. And I wasn't even in the aisle where I don't drink, okay? I was just in the soft drink aisle. And I'm thinking, there, there's all of this. Nobody thinks about anything other than do I, you know, do I buy, a, you know, a, this soft drink or do I pick up this kind of water? That's all, that's the only thing that concerns us. We don't basically worry about what we have to eat. I know there's folks who do, but uh, most of us, I think, would fall in that category. We don't, we don't really give any thought to what we drink or what we eat. But, but in a, in a way we, in a roundabout way, what we do is we think, well, what if I get laid off? What if I lose my job? What if the economy goes bad? What, what if we have, uh, a gasoline shortage and I can't deliver groceries, you know, in the trucks, you know, the, there, there are all those factors. So yes, it can happen. It's there. It's low grade. But look what Jesus said. Verse 26. He said, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap. They, they don't plow. They don't plant. They don't harvest. Saw a farmer out yesterday getting his field ready to plant. Looking great. I've never seen a bird plow a field. Never seen a bird harvest anything other than just find what is there. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Well, of course we are. There used to be a, a weather person on one of the three channels we got back when I grew up in West Virginia. Channel 3 in Huntington. And the weather lady was named DJ. I can't remember her last name. She's a really nice lady, very sweet lady. Everybody liked DJ. And at the end of every weather report in the wintertime, she always would say to everybody, and don't forget to feed the birds. I guess she liked birds. I, in fact, I, I like the birds, and I like to feed birds. In time passed, we had a bird feeder right outside the, uh, the window in our kitchen, dining room. Loved to watch the birds. But you know, I learned something about birds through that process over the years. There's all kinds of birds in the summer. 
various birds, and you you know you you see something different every day. But in the wintertime, you only see a couple of maybe three kinds, because God equipped some kind of birds to be able to stay all winter long in that environment, and they make it. And the rest of them, he gave them an instinct to go where they could make it. And they only come back in the spring like robins, at least where I grew up. That was the case. I think it's more or less the case here probably. We don't need to feed the birds. They can survive on their own. Because God feeds the birds. It's okay to feed the birds, but they don't need us to feed them. God gave them the instincts and gave them the resources to find food. I have never found a flock of birds laying on the side of the road starved to death. I've just never seen that. But we are worth more than a bird. A bird is not a human being. A bird doesn't have a soul. A bird doesn't live eternally. A bird isn't made in the image of God. And he adds this in verse 27. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Now, here, here's the second thing. You see, the one temptation, and this is not a big one, we you know, worry about, mm, will our physical needs be met? Food, water, clothing, so on. But the second one, boy, that's this second concern is rampant in our society. Now, look at it. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Now, that's what I did when I was in seventh grade, hoping that I could be six feet tall, you know? God never saw fit to give me those last few inches. I haven't worried about it much since because, you know, there comes a point in life you don't grow anymore. So what in the world is he talking about here? Who would go around as an adult worrying about how, how tall or be or how, how, what, what kind of physical strength they had? That, that's, that's all settled. It's an unfortunate translation in the King James in a way here. Because the word stature here is a word in the Greek that can actually refer to time. Time, age, lifespan. So he's really saying this. He says, which of you by worrying can add one day to your life? You want me to answer that question? Not a single solitary day can we add to our life? Now, I know every Sunday morning I come in early, I always turn on the radio once, well, I don't always, but a lot of times I turn on the radio. They're always trying to sell me vitamins at that time of the day. I don't know what it is. It's always, a, it's always a, a, an info commercial on a certain brand of vitamins. And on this week, it's this vitamin. I have to have, you just have to have this vitamin if you're going to be healthy and you're going to, you know, your body's going to have it. And next week, you got to have this vitamin. And the next week, you got to have this one. And if you listen every day of the month, you're just like, I'm going to need a doggone huge cabinet of vitamins if I'm going to make it. Nothing wrong with taking vitamins. I even, I'm especially taking vitamin D right now for obvious reasons, but nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being healthy. But we live in a society that's obsessed with somehow making sure that we live a little longer. You know what? God's already determined the length of our days. And us worrying about it is not going to add one single minute 
the time he's mapped out. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. <clears throat> we cannot do anything to sustain our life a moment longer than God wills. Well, he continues, he says, So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the, the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Now, I, don't, I, I really don't think any of us spend any time worrying about what we have to wear. For the most part. I know, I know plenty, of, plenty of you probably in days past have maybe had a few of those days. Maybe uh, I remember, you know, when I was a youngster, we didn't, didn't have a lot. But, uh, you know, all I needed was a pair of jeans and a flannel shirt, so it didn't really bother me. He says, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. He's talking about flowers of the field. He's talking about wildflowers. I don't go out in the woods in the spring anymore. But there was times I used to turkey hunting or whatever. When I was a kid in school, they always give us these projects to go find all the wildflowers you could and put them in a collection. And it's amazing what you can find in the woods, in, in, in the forest, in the springtime blooming. They're just at, they're, they're, they're sporadic, they're here, they're there, you know, they're, they're not growing everywhere, but you can find some of the most beautiful flowers, wildflowers there. He says, consider the, it's, it's lilies, but it, it means literally wildflowers. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. And they neither toil nor spend. They, they never, they didn't even do anything to produce their array of colors and that which makes them up. Verse 29, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as one of these. Not even King Solomon, who, uh, who had all the wealth imaginable and all the affluence you can, you can begin to conceive of, ever was arrayed in clothing that even come close to the beauty God put in nature. Verse 30, now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not so much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Now what does he mean by that? The grass of the field, the, 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 the flowers of the field, the, the, the beautiful things you find in nature. In, in that day they, they, they made these little clay ovens. And they would, they would be able to put wood or whatever down the bottom and they would, they would use them to bake, to cook, heat water, whatever. A lot of that was done outside. Now, if they wanted to make a fire to burn quickly and heat up quickly, they would put kindling in it, just like you would do if you're making a campfire. You guys probably put some kindling out in your fire. You had a fire right last night. You don't you don't throw a log on there and try to light it with a match. So they they would gather just like we would do kindling, you know, dry grass, whatever they had, to start a fire quickly. Now what, what God is saying here is he's be this beautiful patchwork of God's creation is not of a lot of intrinsic value because it's just gathered up and used to start a fire. 
It doesn't last very long. I mean, it blooms for one moment, and, you know, and then we have a freeze like we did here a few weeks ago, and there goes our flower garden, you know? <clears throat> and the point is this. We are much more valuable than flowers in the field. We are much more valuable than the birds of the air. We carry the image of God. If God does such for the birds and such for the flowers of the field, don't you think He would take care of us? Verse 30, Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today and tomorrow is, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we wear, or what shall we drink, or what shall, uh, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek you. The world is focused, the unsaved world. That's the use of the word Gentile here. The world is worried about what they're wearing, and, and what they're eating, and, and how long they're going to live, and all these things. But we are in a different situation. We should have a different perspective. After all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. That word knows there is a perfect tense verb. It means he, 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 he already knew. In the past he's known. But he always has this in mind going forward. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now that's the foundation. That's where we begin. Reviewing the fact that we can trust God. And we have every reason to trust God. But then step number two is this. And now we're going to get more practical. Because what we do is we, we think about trusting God and we say, I already know that. So we don't focus on it and we don't, we don't consume the truth and, and meditate on the truth and let it permeate our souls and, and, edify us like it should. We go, oh, I know that. But look, okay, maybe we do, but let's, let's talk about something we do struggle with, our priorities. We have to prioritize our relationship with God if we're going to overcome anxiety to any degree. Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What things? Everything you just talked about, food to eat, clothes to wear, place to stay, all your needs. God's going to give you all those things. He's promised all those things. We can trust Him with that. We can depend on Him. But what should we be doing versus worrying about all those things that we shouldn't be worrying about? Well, this is what we should be doing. Seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, the phrase kingdom of God references the authority of God, the lordship of Christ. You see, what we really need to be focused on and what should be our priority is making Jesus Christ the Lord of our life in every regard, every day. Our decisions should be determined by what He wants. Our choices should be determined by what the Word says. Our relationship with God should be our first priority. So, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So, you know, <clears throat> recognizing His authority over us is where we start, but when we do that and when we obey and when we submit to Him, then we become more and more like Him 
practically speaking, as far as righteousness is concerned. Now, we all are righteous positionally based on God's grace because we are the children of God. But practically speaking, sanctification-wise, as far as our holiness, our practical living every day, uh, we, we are in a struggle all the time with our own flesh to be more and more like Christ, to be more and more righteous. These two things comprise our first priority. So what we are saying here is simply this, if we can boil it all down, that we have to prioritize our relationship with God. Not, not our personal desires. Not our daily concerns. Not anybody else's wishes or demands. We have to prioritize our relationship with God. You see, chronic anxiety involves wrong priorities. Years ago, John Wesley, the English evangelist, who traveled much preaching the gospel, someone sought him out. Mr. Mr. Wesley, do you know that your house burnt down? He looked at the man and he says, I, I don't have a house. He said, no, no, no. He said, Mr. Wesley, you don't understand. Your house, the house you live in, you know, back, back where you're from, your house, your house burnt down. He said, no, it didn't. I don't own a house. That was God's house. And if God let it burn down, that's God's business, basically. And I'm not, that's not an exact quote. Man, what a perspective. See, we, our focus, our priorities is all these things that make our life what we want it to be and expect it to be. But our focus, our priority, should be our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, now here's the way we normally conceive of priorities in a list. You, need, you put your number one priority at the top, God, and then maybe number two, family, maybe your church life, your career. And some people mix these all around, and, and I don't even have self up there, but some people, unfortunately, might even have self at the top of the list, if they were honest. What's the problem with this this idea of a hierarchical list, the problem is you can't reconcile number one with number two. If God's your first priority, then when do you have time to make your family a priority? You don't. Your family's never a priority. Or your church or your career or anything else. Maybe we would just get back in our minds like the Thessalonian church where, you know, they didn't work. They just, you know, they just thought they were about God's business. And that's all they did. And, and Paul said, your problem is you're busybody. You're not doing anything. You're not working all around. But, you, you know, you, you think you, you got your priorities right and they're all messed up. Here's the way to conceive of your priorities. Put God at the center of your life. And His will and His word controls... How you live at home, how you act at work, your church work, even what you do and for hobbies and what you do for yourself, whatever it is. God being a priority, seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness means He controls all those other things and brings about a balance to everything. But one doesn't work against the other. 
So the more that we prioritize our relationship with God and focus on that and get that right, the more we will overcome debilitating anxiety. But then there's a third step. Concern yourself with today's problems. Look at verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now don't forget that last line in verse 34. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. You have a problem today, well then deal with it. You have a concern today, deal with it. You've got some anxiety over what's going on in your life today, you need to, you need to work on that. You need to try to resolve the problem. You tried to, you need to try to, uh, overcome the challenges. What we don't need to be doing is worrying about tomorrow's challenge. Now, look, I'm not saying don't plan for the future. I'm not saying don't do financial planning or I'm not saying, you know, don't prepare for retirement or old age or any of that. That's all fine and dandy and perfect and, and, and within the scope of God's will. But what we can't do is focus on all that exclusively and and become so overly concerned with it, it robs us of the ability to live a joyful, peaceful life today. Our focus should be on the day. Just like our focus should be on our relationship with God versus all these things we think we need that God's already promised to give us, our, our focus must be on today, not what if the economy tanks, what if, you know, Taxes go up. What if, you know, I don't have enough to live on when I'm, you know, 80 years old? Take care of today. And part of today is planning for tomorrow. But leave tomorrow for tomorrow. I like Mark Twain. Not so much because I like to read his books. I really don't. But I just love love his quotes that, that crop up from time to time. People use them. He was a very witty writer, and I think he was far from being a believer or a Christian. But he said something here that kind of puts this in perspective. He said this. He said, I've been through some terrible things in life, some of which actually happened. You see, there will be some tough things in life that we'll have to go through. By God's grace, we'll get through them. But don't take all those things that might happen and let them become your focus and let them drive out the joy and the peace you have today. You can't live tomorrow in advance. It doesn't work. It only robs you of today. Very simple approach. Trust God. Prioritize your life. Concern yourself with today. Now, Number three, we're looking at right now, concern yourself with today's problems, I will come back to in my next sermon. We'll have a guest speaker next week, but two weeks from today, I'm going to talk about how do we handle anxieties that we do face today. We'll come back to that. This is the basis, this is the foundation here. This is the instruction Christ gave us that we must absorb and apply to our lives. <clears throat> my wife would deny this, but she, in my opinion, is a virtual saint. I am not even 
on the list to be nominated. But I, I would be the first to nominate her. She has many gifts, and one of them is she can write beautifully. And this came, I'm not sure, probably from a greeting card she wrote or something else she wrote a number of years ago, but it just captures everything. There are no needs beyond God's ability to supply, no circumstances beyond his control, and no situations where I cannot rely on his strength. Therefore, I have no reason to worry. It's just what we learned, isn't it? Doesn't it just sum it up? We have no reason to be anxious. We have no reason to allow anxiety to overwhelm us. So why, why would we do it? We need to get a little stubborn in our minds. You know, what we think affects our emotions. And if we're thinking the wrong things, we're going to be full of anxieties. We need to learn to be a little bit stubborn about what we allow ourselves to think. And, and we need to get a little bit stern with ourselves and say, I need to change direction in my thoughts. I have no reasons to be overwhelmed. 